Well, you've seen this morning one example of what we're going to be talking about today. We are challenged not to just be hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. Um, This is an example of what James is all about, our series, Taking It to the Streets, the Gospel with Shoes on, Faith in Action, Taking the Gospel to the Nations, and Living Out Our Faith each day, one day at a time, but consistently each day. The basis of our series, Taking It to the Streets, is this, faith that is real works practically in a person's life. Real faith is faith that works. True faith is faith that works. This morning we're going to talk about success. And different people define success in different ways. But I want to give us a definition to operate on this morning, a definition for success. Success is the quality of life that is found in a private fellowship with God, which results in a public display of biblical integrity, living out our faith. And so with that definition in mind, we're going to look at steps to success as defined by God. We'll look at that this morning and hopefully be challenged to live a successful Christian life this morning. Last week we talked about sin that's caused by Satan deceiving us. This week, we're going to look at sin that's caused by us deceiving ourselves, which can be more dangerous, actually. If we can get into a a point, a place where we are are fooling ourselves into believing something that's not real, it's, it's harder to convince for someone to convince us otherwise. And so how do we get there? What does that look like? Well, James is going to help us understand that, that this morning. A lot of people are deceiving themselves into thinking they are living successful uh, the way God wants them to, uh, but, you know, the fruitful Christian life, but in reality, they're not. It's a mark of maturity when a person faces himself honestly knows himself and admits that he is wrong, admits failure. It's a mark of immaturity to pretend to be faithful and to fool yourself into believing you're faithful and not listen to the word of God, not listen to wise counsel. So the only way that I'm going to be able to honestly evaluate my spiritual condition is in a proper relationship with God and with his word, understanding his word. James talks about the incredible, life-changing, revolutionary power of the Word of God and, and how that brings about true success in my life. Now, we're going to look at James 1, 19 through 25. I've already recruited somebody to quote it for us. And so, Dan the Man Sigler is going to come up. I appreciate Dan. He's going to come up and quote this for us. Thank you, Dan. Starting with verse 19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, and slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only. For he that is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, is like unto a man which beholdeth himself in a glass, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he is. But who, but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. 
Thank you, Dan. Appreciate it, man. Appreciate Dan for doing that. Tell you what, Anna Shirley, will you come get this for me? You didn't know I was going to call on you today, did you? Thank you, baby. All right, so you hear in that passage what I believe are steps to success in the Christian life. And so we're going to look at characteristics of a successful Christian person. I'm going to be speaking in my main points in in the masculine, a successful Christian man, because James does. But this applies to all of us. Don't, Don't hear that and think it doesn't apply to you. Whether you're a man, woman, a student, a child, uh, boy, girl, whatever the case may be, these characteristics apply to you. So characteristic number one, a, a successful man consistently controls his anger. It's interesting here in these first few verses, James presents us with a contrast. The contrast to being angry is being quick to hear and first slow to speak. Being slow to speak is the greatest antidote to being angry. The Word of God cannot work in our lives unless we receive it, are willing to receive it, and receive it immediately. And we have to be quick to hear in order to do that, all right? Matthew 13, 9 says, let anyone who has ears listen. So if we have ears, okay, we should be willing to listen. Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. Now, in the first century, you have to put yourself in the context. In the first century, the only written Bible that they had was the Old Testament. And so if they were going to receive the apostles' teachings, if they were going to receive Jesus' teachings, they had to be in a place where it was taught, and they had to be willing to do what? They had to be willing to listen. Right To pay attention. Listening was vital to receiving the Word of God in this day. So when you think about what James is saying here, it takes on a whole new meaning when you realize they didn't have their completed Bible to take home with them and read afterwards. They had to listen and they had to take in what they heard so that they could remember it. Listening was vitally important. And we are today, we should also be quick to hear. We, we need to be eager to hear what God has to say. Whether we're listening to a message or listening to the word as we read it, we should be quick to hear. But, but unfortunately today, we aren't very good listeners, are we? Uh, and many, many of us struggle with that. We're overwhelmed. Why is that the case? Well, one reason is we're overwhelmed with tons and tons and tons of information, right? Everywhere we look, open up a device, tons of notifications, news reports, turn on the TV, tons of information, talking to different people, tons of information. So we're taking all of this information in, but how much of it are we really retaining? We, we may hear it, but we're not truly listening to all the information that comes in. And one of the reasons is that when someone is talking to us and someone is giving us information, we may daydream, right? Or we may be so self-consumed that we're not listening. Or, and I never do this, but somebody's talking and we're thinking about what we want to say instead of listening to what they have to say, right? 
I mean, there's any number of things, but our world is so fast-paced. We're being hit with so much information. Our minds are all over the place. And so when we hear the phrase, be quick to hear, if you're like me, you struggle with that. Because there's so much coming at us, so much going on. We are poor listeners. And one of the reasons, I believe, is just because we are too busy. Busyness substitutes frenzy for friendships. It substitutes craziness for conversation, and it wrecks our relationships. And the most important relationship being our relationship to God. Adelaide Stevenson spoke to students at Princeton, and he said this. He said, I understand I'm here to speak, and you are here to listen. Let's hope we both finish at the same time. I I hope the the same thing for us this morning. Being able to listen is important. We've got to get past the busyness and find a way to be still in the presence of God and listen to his word. To listen to the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit as he speaks to us through our quiet time of prayer and our time in his word. We should also be slow to speak. We have two ears and one mouth. What does that tell you? You've heard it before, right? You should listen twice as much as you speak. You might not know this about me, but that's something I struggle with. (laughs) Yeah. I see no shocked faces in this room. I'm a little hurt, actually, no. I know, I've always been that way. I used to get in trouble in school for talking too much. I always got bad grades in conduct. I tell my mom now I was just preparing for my career, which is what you're supposed to do in school, right? She doesn't find that amusing, I don't think. But uh, um, we should be slow to speak. You know, I've been walking through this passage. Andrew Taylor and I have been walking through this passage together for the past several weeks Um, every Monday we've been meeting and we've been diving deep into this passage of scripture and we were meeting a couple of weeks ago and we got to this section of this passage and Andrew shared an insight that he had gleaned from his study in preparation for our meeting that he drew from one of our study sources and he said this and it stuck with me and I I, I want to share it this morning because I believe it's so very, very, very important. Being slow to speak demands silence. Listen to this. It demands silence until we understand and apply God's word. Now think about that. How how often are we willing to slow down long enough to not just hear the word of God, but to internalize it so much that we are beginning to apply it to our lives? That's what it means to be slow to speak. Now let's look at a couple of verses together, okay? Proverbs 10.19 says, where there are many words, sin is unavoidable. But the one who controls his lips is prudent. So evidently being slow to speak is key to living without sin. Because we take in the word of God, we're slow to speak in the sense that we are listening and applying the word of God. Which means we're living right with God. Proverbs 17, 27, the one who has knowledge restrains his word. I've been slow to speak, I've internalized the word of God, I'm applying it. And so because of that knowledge, I'm able to restrain my words. And the one who keeps a cool head is a person of understanding. Now in the early church, 
The services were incredibly informal. Again, the context of what we're looking at in James here today. They were incredibly informal, and a lot of times debates and discussions would go on. I'm not recommending that, okay, <laughs> for our service. Come to Wednesday night if you'd like to do that. Um, <laughs> but, but now that was just commonplace, and as you can imagine, sometimes these services would get a little out of hand. I mean, people would begin to go back and forth. And, and James is speaking into this. And, and this would often, unfortunately, lead to fights and wars among the church body because these discussions would descend into chaos and get out of control. That's one of the reasons in chapter 4, verse 1, James says, What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? They're not listening to the word. They're not applying it. They're not taking it in. And they're just speaking, motivated by their passions that are waging war within them. And so it's spilling out into the gathering. Plain and simple, we should think before we speak. We should meditate on Scripture, take in the Word of God, dwell on it before we speak. You know, I've never had to take back something I didn't say. It sounds obvious, and it is, but I've never had to take back something that I stopped myself from saying. Now, I've had to take back some things in my life. I've said wrong things, and I've had to apologize for those things. But I've never had to take back, I never regret, I've never regretted stopping and thinking before I spoke. But it's so hard to do sometimes. If we are quick to hear, slow to speak, we will be more likely, James tells us, to be slow to anger. We should not get angry, certainly, at God's word. Proverbs 14, 29, a patient person shows great understanding, but a quick-tempered one promotes foolishness. You know, David, with his sin with Bathsheba, after his sin, he lived for a while in that sin. Until Nathan, Nathan the prophet finally confronted him and told him a story about the ewe lamb and what was David's initial response. He didn't think, he spoke. What was his response? Anger. Anger. That man should be killed, right? But then Nathan looks at him and says, you are that man. And at that point, David finally listened to the word of God through the prophet Nathan. And what was his response? It was repentance. But it wasn't until he listened to the word of God. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter was slow to hear, swift to speak, and swift to anger, and he almost killed a man because of it. Jesus stopped him. He cut his ear off. You know, a lot of church fights are the result of short tempers and short words and not thinking before we speak. Now, we need to make a distinction here. There is such thing as godly anger. Now, I do think it's, in my personal opinion, very difficult for human beings to have true righteous indignation because we are sinful. But I do think it's possible. The Bible speaks about that. We should be angry against sin for one thing. Ephesians 4.26, be angry yet do not sin. Righteous indignation. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And if we truly love the Lord, we should hate sin. Psalm 97.10, you who love the Lord hate evil. He protects the lives of his faithful ones. He rescues them from the power of sin, of, of the wicked, rather. So we should be angry at sin. We should hate sin, but we should do it without sinning. God warns us that anger, verse 20, does not, human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. And here's why. An angry spirit is never a listening, teachable spirit. And we need to be teachable. We have to be teachable. In fact, anger is just the opposite 
of the patience that God wants to produce in our lives as human beings as we mature in Jesus Christ. Anger works against God's character in our lives. <coughs> Proverbs 13.3 says, Those who guard their lips preserve their lives, but those who speak rashly will come to ruin. James warns us, excuse me, <clears throat> don't you love it when you get a tickle in your throat? <coughs> James warns us, <clears throat> I'll get it in a minute. <clears throat> I guess somebody's trying to keep me from saying what I need to say, I don't know. <clears throat> James warns us against getting angry at God's word. Because it reveals our sins to us, and it does. It's like the man who breaks a mirror because he doesn't like what he looks like. I mean, it's foolish, but we do it. People rebel against God's word because it simply tells the truth about our wickedness, and we don't like that, right? So a successful man controls his anger, first of all. A successful man also continually craves the truth, and not just part of the truth, but the whole truth. Now, I pulled something off the internet, <clears throat> and it's on the, it has to be true because it's on the internet, right? <coughs> but this is, and you've probably heard some of these, these are, are companies that have gotten in trouble for false advertising. I'm just going to read a couple of them. Nissan Frontier. In 2014, Nissan showed a Frontier that could push a dune buggy up a hill. The only problem is, is that truck was not able to do that in real life. <laughs> It was false advertising. The company was forced to stop airing that advertisement, and rightfully so, right? Frosted mini wheats, I like this one. The Kellogg company claimed that frosted mini wheats improved children's attentiveness by 20%. Problem was, they couldn't prove that. And I'm not sure I believe that frosted mini wheats, I like frosted mini wheats. They agreed to a $4 million settlement because someone sued them. I guess they measured their child's attentiveness after they ate ate frosted mini wheats. I don't know. I don't know how you measure that, really, but here's one of my favorites just because it is so... This sounds bad. Let me rephrase. It, it, It stuck out to me because of its deceptiveness, but people believed it when it happened. Camel cigarettes. 1946, an advertisement for Camel Cigarettes claimed that doctors preferred the brand. Some of you are old enough to remember that, sounds like. And a supposed independent survey proved this. It was revealed to have been conducted by an ad agency using suspect methods. We can know that now, right? The commercial showed actors dressed as doctors. They weren't even real doctors puffing away on cigarettes while they made house calls. (laughs) Even at the time, there was substantial evidence that smoking was dangerous, deadly, yet they put on this false ad campaign so that doctor could recommend a safe brand of cigarettes for you. Eclipse gum. You probably remember this commercial. Said it's Eclipse gum with magnolia bark extract. I don't even know what that is. Could kill germs and cause that cause bad breath. Not cause bad breath, but cure it. The claim was unfounded. Wrigley agreed to pay a six million to seven million dollar class action suit to pay back buyers who found this not to be true. Hopefully I won't burst your bubble this morning. ADT Home Security, if 
any of you have that, falsely identified the safety and technology experts who endorsed their security, their home security. The guys that were endorsing it were not really experts, okay? Those experts had actually been paid for their endorsements, and so they had to remove that. And here's one, Snapchat. Be weary of social media. Snapchat claimed that messages sent on the app would disappear, but third-party apps can save those messages indefinitely. It's a good warning. If you put someone on the Internet, it will be there forever, right? Be careful what you post. We've seen things like this before. Now, when we're buying something, when we're making purchases, we want to be told the truth and not just part of the truth. We want all the truth, especially when it's an important purchase. And we should have the same attitude. If we are to be successful as Christians, we should, we should desire not just part of the truth or a half-truth. We want the whole truth. We need the whole truth of God's word. Life takes on a whole new meaning when we know the living word of God. So why do so many Christians struggle with that? Well, some of us walk away from spending time in God's word. We walk away from worship, and we can't even remember what we just read or what we just talked about. Why is that? Why do we struggle? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but James says it could be because of moral filth that exists in our lives. Not that you're, I'm not saying you're all bad people, but we all struggle with sin. And it could be because of sin that we're not listening to the word of God. It could be because of the evil that's so prevalent, James tells us. And that word filth, it's interesting, that word filth can mean dirty clothes, but it can actually be used as a a medical term for earwax, which fits perfectly with being quick to hear. Maybe there's earwax in our ears, moral filth that's clogging up our spiritual ears, keeping us from hearing the word of God. James says the solution to the spiritual deaf, deafness is to get rid of or to, to, to take off the dirty clothes, the moral filth, the ungodly traits, and then replace it except the word, the living word of God implanted in us. Those impure things in our hearts clutter the path for the word of God to come. And we need the word implanted, he says, deep in our hearts so that it will take root and grow and save us. It will produce also fellowship with other believers. It's foolish to try to receive God's word in an unprepared heart. Are our hearts prepared for the word of God? Is there sin that needs to be confessed? Behaviors that need to change? So how do we prepare our hearts? First, we need to confess sin and ask the Father to forgive us. 1 John 1, 9 tells us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then we confess our sin and then we begin to, should begin to meditate on God's love and his grace and ask him to plow up our hearts to make it fertile, prepared for the seed of God's word to take root in our lives. Jeremiah 4.3 says, For this is what the Lord says to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up the unplowed ground. Do not sow among thorns. God, remove the thorns from my heart. Plow up. Prepare my heart for your word. Then we need to have an attitude of meekness. Humbly receive, James says in verse 21. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is power that is under control. 
Don't mistake meekness for weakness. There's great power that God gives us when he takes up residence in our lives. When his word takes root in our lives, he empowers us to serve him, to, to do the things that he calls us to do. But that power has to be under his control. It is quiet. Meekness is quiet, controlled confidence in who you are and whose you are. Who you are in Christ and who you belong to, Jesus Christ. It is power that is under submission to the Holy Spirit and the Lord Jesus Christ. And we receive the word of God with meekness. We accept it. We don't argue with it. We honor it as what it is, the living word of God, the living word of truth, the whole truth. Not part of the truth. It is truth. We submit to it, and then we obey it. And if we don't receive the word of God, then we are deceiving ourselves. Finally, a successful man carefully critiques his lifestyle. You know, it's not enough to be hearers of the word. We have to obey it. We must be doers of the word also. You know, a lot of people think hearing a good sermon, reading for a few minutes every morning, that that's enough. It's, but it's not the hearing that brings the blessing, according to James, it's the doing that brings the blessing. James is not about earning your salvation. James is about faith in action. True faith will be shown in our works. And he tells us that that's where the blessing is found, is in doing the word of God. The hearing of the word has to be followed by obedience. Truly receiving God's word logically means doing it. He's revealing the truth to us so that we can live the truth because he's empowering us to do that. So hearing has to be followed by doing it, by doing. And in these verses, James compares the word of God to a mirror. Now, what's the main purpose of a mirror? A mirror is to look at yourself so you can see what you really look like. You get up in the morning, you get a shower, you start getting ready, and then what do you inevitably do before you leave the house? You stand in front of a mirror. And you adjust whatever needs to be adjusted until you say, yep, that's the look I'm going for today. (laughs) Now look around you. Somebody near you did that today. You judge whether or not they did a good job. I'm kidding, okay? All right? I'm not going to comment on whether or not you made a good decision this morning. But we all probably did that this morning. At some point, we looked and said, "I'm, I'm good. I'm ready to go. All right? But that's what mirrors are for, all right? We, that's what the mirror of God's word does, by the way. It shows us who we really are because we can fool ourselves into thinking we're a lot of things. But when we look into the mirror of God's word, we see ourselves as we really are. Now, let's say I go about getting ready in, this, in the morning. I've got my clothes on. I'm, I'm, I'm just about ready to walk out the door, and I just do this. I'm good. Now, am I going to know if there's anything around my mouth from breakfast or toothpaste all around or something hanging from my nose? Or Am I going to know that if I just do that? A quick glance is not going to do it. Just a sermon on Sunday morning is not going to do it. I know I can hear the comments. I know that's not a quick glance, okay? A quick, just a sermon on Sunday morning is not going to do it. A Bible study before the message, before the service on Sunday morning is not going to do it. Listen, just reading a chapter of day, a day and not internalizing it is not going to do it. A quick glance is not going to do it. You've got to be willing to dig deep into the Word of God. 
Meditate on the Word of God. Spend time in His Word. Swim, simmer in the Word of God. That's what James is talking about here. Looking into the mirror of God's Word is not just looking quickly. It is spending time in His Word so that it can truly take root and have a significant impact on our lives. Some, James says, you know, by the way, it's a, it's a difference between a casual photo and an x-ray. Think about it that way. Look at a picture, you see the outside, you look at an x-ray, you get deep. Or you could even go even further and say an MRI, all right? You get really to the root of the problem. You can't see that from the outside. Some, James says, forget what they see. A man or someone who looks in a mirror forgets his features, walks away, and that's similar to a man who hears God's word, but it rejects its impact, the impact that it has on his life. If they were truly looking deep enough, James is saying, into their hearts, in the mirror of God's word, what they would see would be unforgettable, and it would change them. In the mirror of God's word, we see ourselves as we really are, but then we also see God as he really is. If you want to know God, here's where you find who he is, what he's like, how he wants you to live, his character. All there is to know about God, he reveals to us through his word, through the written word and his spoken word, as he speaks to us through his Holy Spirit. But those two have to go together. You have to be in the Word to properly hear the Holy Spirit speak to you. We see the glory, the perfection of God in contrast to the awfulness of our sin in His Word. We see that there is no part of us that's not tainted by sin. When Isaiah was in the presence of God, he saw himself as he really was and he cried out, Woe is me, I am undone! Because he saw his sinfulness in contrast to the holiness of God and perfection of God. When Peter encountered God in the person of Jesus Christ, what did he do? He fell on his face and he said, go away from me, for I'm a sinful man, Lord. Job, who was the most righteous man of his day, when he encountered the holiness of God, the presence of God, he said, I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. When we encounter the holiness of God, we see who he is, and he shows us who we are in our sinfulness. And that's one of the reasons we don't like looking intently into the word of God. And that would be a hopeless thing if it wasn't followed by restoration, the grace of God and the mercy of God. But you got to get through this step before you realize that in your life, before you experience that. Another mistake that we make, according to James, is that we have failed to obey what the Word of God tells us to do. Some think that hearing is the same as doing it. It's not. Substituting reading once a day for actually applying it to our lives or even talking about it. We like to do that. Talk about it. We can have endless committee meetings on a subject and never actually do anything. Committee meetings are fine, but they must be followed by action, right? And the same is true of God's Word. Just reading, just hearing is not enough if it's not followed by doing. It has to be accompanied by doing. In contrast, the man who looks at God's Word intently, James says, and then continues or perseveres in it will be successful. He'll be blessed. And what he does, why? Because he knows God's will, he knows God's word, he knows what God wants him to do, and he's doing it. So God blesses that, he honors that, 
And he brings success, maybe not worldly success, but spiritually speaking. And here, it's here that we realize, unless the Word of God has made a change in our lives, it really hasn't entered our lives. If it enters, there's going to be a change, truly enters. It's going to transform. So if we're going to use God's mirror properly, this mirror, if we're going to use God's mirror properly, then we have to look intently in the Word of God and persevere, verse 25 says. No quick glances. We examine our hearts and lives in light of God's truth. And this requires time, attention, and uh, sincere devotion. Think about it this way. If you go to the doctor, and some of you may have doctors this way, I don't know. But if you go to the doctor and he comes in for two seconds, looks at you and says, you look good, I'll see you next time, and leaves, how much are you going to believe that? You're not going to believe that. You want the doctor to come in, you want him to talk to you, you want him to answer questions that you have, you want him to examine you, you want him to recommend any tests that you may need, to look beneath the surface, especially if something's wrong. You want him to spend time with you and do a thorough examination to find out if you're okay or not. Or if there is something wrong, how to fix it. Right? Well, that's, that's the way we need to look at God's Word. I mean, He is the great physician, and we need to give Him time to examine us thoroughly to remove any infection that may exist so that we can properly hear his word and do his word. When Jesus, the great physician, examined us, he uses his word to do it. And he wants us to give him sufficient time to do the job well. We need to allow him that time. And maybe one reason we glance into the word of God instead of looking intently is that we're afraid of what we might see. And I get that. You don't want to know what's wrong with you. None of us do. But we have to allow the great physician to heal us in, in certain areas before we're able to be useful to him. And after we see ourselves, we have remembered what we are. We know what we are. We know what God says. We have to do his word. The blessing comes from doing. Verse 25, the one who looks intently at the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it. James says, that person is blessed. And what he does. God blesses the work that we do. The emphasis in James is on the practice of the word faith in action. Faith that's real works practically in one's life. Real faith is faith that works. And what James, what does James call the perfect, why does he call it the perfect law of freedom? Because when you obey God's word, it sets you free. And that's the, it may be difficult getting to that point. The thorough examination, the, the filth that's there that's got, that needs to be gotten rid of, the, the change in lifestyle, the repentance, the sorrow that comes with that, that's all incredibly difficult. I'm not denying that. Nobody likes to know all the junk in their lives and come to terms with that. But once we do, we allow the great physician to do his work, we put it into practice, that's when we experience true freedom. There's no other real freedom than freedom that comes from living the life that God has called you to live. Whatever that means for you personally. It certainly means being free from sin and obeying the word of God. John 8, 31 and 32, Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, then you really are my disciples. Lines up perfectly with what James is saying, right? He would know he's the half-brother of Jesus. You're really my disciples. He says, you will know the truth. Then, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Truth acted on brings more truth. 
But a failure to respond to the truth will ultimately result in bondage and loss of truth. For our soul's health, we have to apply what we hear. And I'm just going to go ahead and apologize. I'm using food again. We're going to talk about truth. I like truth is not cherry pie, okay? Let me just throw that out there. Truth is not cherry pie. Here's what I mean by that. I like, this is a tasty cake cherry pie. I'm not endorsing tasty cakes. But I like, doesn't matter if it's tasty cake or not, I like these cherry pies. I like cherry pie. (laughs) Somebody agrees with me. So that would also be true for Mike. But I'm not going to single anybody out, but there's probably somebody in this room that does not like cherry pie. If I say I like cherry pie, that is true, right? But if you, who do not like cherry pie, say I like cherry pie, that is not true. That statement is not true. It's true for me. It's not true for you. What type of truth do you call that? Relative or subjective, right? It's relative, and that's the relativistic idea, principle we live with in our world today, that all truth is relative. And in this case, that is true. But a statement like, cancer is an illness, that's not relative. That's true. A statement like, God is God, is also not a relative truth. God is holy. Whether you believe that or not, I'm here to say that is not a relative truth. There are moral absolutes in our world every day that we live by, whether we acknowledge them or not. And what God's word tells us are those two absolute truths. Another absolute statement that I hope that you will believe before you leave here today, if you don't already, is that God's word is truth. There is no debate. It is objective. Some believe that it is true. Some believe that it is not. But it does not change the fact that it is truth. And I don't say that in a combative way. I know I'm loud. I know my voice is loud. I'm not trying to be combative. I'm telling you that because until you realize that in your life, until you take that in, until you allow the implanted word to take root in your life and change who you are and, and, and free you from sin, free you from brokenness, You will not experience true freedom, and I want you to experience freedom. If you don't know Christ, I want you to experience freedom. And if you do know Christ and you're not living in obedience to his word, I want you to experience freedom. Because you will never experience the life that God has for you, success on his terms. You will never experience true freedom and true life until you listen, hear, internalize The the, the great physician does his work and then apply, live out God's word for your life. So there's the phrase for you this morning. Truth is not cherry pie. Take that with you today. There is real truth. And the truth is, is, is a person. It is the word of God, Jesus Christ, and how he reveals himself to us. The reason this book is living and active is because a living God is revealing himself to us through it. Truth is Jesus Christ. God's word is truth. It is truth about who he is. It is truth about who we are. And it is truth about what we are supposed to do. And I've never really met anybody, honestly, that didn't want to know what 
they were supposed to do with their lives. They didn't want to know what their purpose in life was. This is where we find it, right here. Doing God's word is the key to blessing and happiness, true joy and contentment. There is no success greater than that. And I'll leave you with this. To hear God's word is good. Can we all agree on that? Hearing God's word is good. Hearing and doing God's word is better. Don't be hearers only. Be doers also. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. We certainly don't deserve that. You don't have to do that. You could leave us in the filth of our sin and the evil that's so prevalent. You could leave us to fend for ourselves. We chose to sin. You would be perfectly justified in leaving us right there. Yet you sent your son Jesus to die for our sins so that we could be free from sin. And I pray if there's somebody here today or listening online that has not received the gift of salvation, that they would cry out to you where they are. The Holy Spirit, you would bring them under conviction, draw them to yourself, and that they would cry out recognizing that they, like all of us, have sinned and fallen short of your glory. But, and the wages of that sin is death, separation from you, but you give us the free gift, the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And your word tells us that if we confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that you, Jesus Christ, are raised from the dead, that we will be saved. And I pray that if there's someone who doesn't know you, that they would cry out right now with that prayer, right where they are. Silent or out loud, doesn't matter, you'll hear them. So that they can receive the gift of salvation and experience true freedom, freedom from sin. For those of us who know you, we may be living as if we were still in bondage because we're not listening to your word and doing your word. We need to spend time in your presence being still, closing our mouths and listening. As you speak through your written word and as you speak through the still small voice of your Holy Spirit. Lord, may we be listeners, taking it in, the implanted word, allowing it to take root allowing you to do your work of transformation, changing us from the inside out, that process of sanctification that is only complete when we actually become doers of your word. Lord, I pray that we would be people that don't just talk about doing, that don't just speak of the truth, but that your transformation would be evident in our lives as we actually live it out each and every day. And then we will experience freedom that you intend for us to experience. God, just bless us in this moment by speaking to us and showing us how you want us to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand for our time of commitment?